Christ Church New Malden, Sunday the 14th of August 2022, 9.30 service. Hugh Griffith speaking on why I am a Christian. It's lovely to see you. And uh, first going to have a small video. seen a sight that didn't look better looking back I was born under a wandering star I suspect that maybe apart from Stephen and a couple of others here there's very few people who've even heard of Lee Marvin at least my children haven't he was an American a contemporary of Clint Eastwood, and he made loads of films and TV shows, mostly as the tough guy. None of that applies to me. But, but the two phrases in his song do apply. I was born under a wandering star, and uh, I've never seen a sight that didn't look better looking back. So, my story. I was born in Hong Kong, start of my wandering. I was born in Hong Kong in 1949. My dad was working there for Unilever, and he and my mum lived in a flat on Hong Kong Island itself. I didn't stay there long. Uh, they left seven weeks with me after I was born. And here's a picture of my mum and dad at an event marking their leaving. It's over grand, I think, and there's a prize for those people who can recognize my mum and my dad in that picture. Marking their leaving of Hong Kong. We traveled by sea back to the UK, and next there's a picture of me living the life of the filthy rich. I, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what a beautiful baby, aren't you? So here are some more pictures of that adorable baby. That was my first bout of wandering. My dad's work took him to several different countries and we lived in Ceylon, as it then was, Sri Lanka, for five years. My brother Martin was born there. And then in 1955 he moved to Leopoldville, now Kinshasa, in what was then called the Belgian Congo. And in 1962 we moved to Manila in the Philippines. A lot of wandering. Part of my Christian heritage is that we all used to go to church every Sunday, different denominations in the different countries we lived in. In Colombo, it was the Scots Kirk on the Gaul face. And later on, we used to go to a missionary church in the Congo. And in Manila, we went to an Episcopal church. When we were at home in Cardiff, we'd go to the Eglois Anibanol in Mini Street, which you know is the Welsh Congregational Chapel in Welsh. I went to boarding schools from the age of seven. First one was Ysgol Abermad, Abermad School, just outside Aberystwyth. And then I went at 13 to Leighton Park, a Quaker school in Reading. 
I didn't enjoy school. I didn't enjoy life at school. I didn't make any real friends, and I felt quite lonely. And I was bullied in both of the schools, and that boosted my sense of insecurity and made me more of a person who wanted to please everybody. The Quaker ethos, which I came across at Leighton Park, is to encourage people to think for themselves and not to force your opinion on others. They're also noted for a liberal, a caring, and a compassionate approach to life, and those ways of thinking have formed a lot of my character. But what made the biggest difference was my French teacher, David Preston. This is him, slightly older. he just graduated when he went to teach at Leighton Park, and he started a small group where he taught, we studied, the Bible. Myself and a couple of friends of mine were in that group. I just cannot tell you how much I owe to him. I was very sad recently when I was preparing this talk to look him up and I found that he died only a couple of years ago. I'd never thanked him, but he had a huge impact on me. I've got no recollection at all of what we learnt from the Bible. But I do know that he talked to us about the resurrection of Jesus and using a book called Who Moved the Stone? He showed us that the overwhelming likelihood, historically speaking, factually, was that Jesus did live, that he did die, he did rise from being dead. That truth and that conviction is still with me. I've never had any doubts about the reality of the resurrection. I've got plenty of doubts about whether God truly cares for me, but none as to the essential truth as of what the Bible recorded. David Preston has probably been the most significant individual in my Christian journey. But there are many more who brought God home to me over the years. In fact, in 1966, our little study group at Leighton Park went to one of the Billy Graham Crusades in London, with David Preston taking us. I went up to the front and prayed when Graham made his call for people to accept Jesus' offer. But I'm not sure how much I understood about it. I was 16 and probably quite a young 16 at that. What did happen was that I got all their follow-up literature. Not in-person help, which is what they want to do, because I was in a boarding school. I read the stuff. I tried to live it out. But on my own, I didn't get very far. And I never asked for help. So school finished. That was the end of my first stage of living under a wandering star. I started at Warwick University in September 1968. And I remember thinking about taking my Bible to Union. I had one of those tiny little Bibles, you know, about that size. I wanted about taking my Bible to uni, but decided not to, because I never looked at it. It was a surprisingly hard decision that stayed with me. I can only say that I was right in logic. If I didn't look at it, don't, don't take it. But God was working with me, on me, through my feelings. In fact, what I wanted was to thoroughly enjoy the wild life that university could offer. But, and I look back and I'm incredibly grateful for this, I wasn't at the time, I was never able to overcome my personal insecurity and social nervousness. 
And I know again that, again, this was God looking after me. It wasn't fun then, but I can look back and see that he was looking after me despite my wishes. Looking back makes me realise that he was always there. He was planning my steps to becoming a committed Christian, protecting me from going the wrong way, from sin in the jargon. And then partway through my second term, Mike Townend, a chap called Mike Townend, knocked on my door in hall and he asked me some questions about Jesus and Christianity. Now, my problem was that I had already read in the Billy Graham literature about a lot of the things he asked, so I knew the right answers. And when he asked if I went to church, I said yes, Welsh Congregational. The thing is, he then asked if I would be interested in doing some Bible study to find out a bit more about who Jesus was. And I felt trapped. I said I went to church, and I knew from my Billy Graham experience that all Christians always studied the Bible. So I had to say yes. And I can look back and I think now how naive I was. It probably was, but, but to me it's another indication of how God had been putting little episodes in my life with a purpose of getting me to become a Christian. So I did three weekly studies with a chap called Ted Pilling. That's him on the left. He worked with a missionary group, the Navigators. And here's one of the people who've made me into the Christian that I am. His faith, his faithfulness to me uh, made an enormous impact on me th over my years at university. But I'm leaping ahead. We did the studies, we had the discussions, and I distinctly remember sitting in my room one evening in March 1969, realising I was faced with a choice, and that choice was between truth or lie. I remember realising very distinctly that put like that, there's no choice, no issue. So I plunged into the Jesus side. And looking back, I realised that I did have a choice, but the Holy Spirit was touching my mind and helping me to see the choice very clearly. And the choice I had to make was whether to accept Jesus, Jesus as my rescuer, my saviour, if you like, and to commit myself to living for him, or to reject him and to carry on as I was. It wasn't that my life was so bad that I was desperate to choose a comforter. But the principal reason I chose Jesus was that I was convinced, thank you, Mr. Preston, that this man had been crucified. He did get up a few days later and was alive and he spoke to loads of individuals and groups. I reasoned that if he was actually dead and then became alive, then he was worth listening to and believing. The supernatural event of him being alive instead of mouldering in a tomb just outside Jerusalem, it was enough to convince me that he was the son of God. So my start in faith was based on the solid rock of facts, which is great. But, but there's no feeling there that God loved me, that I'm a person who constantly does things that he doesn't want me to, that I really and truly needed a saviour, at least as much as I needed to be confident about the facts. My faith was real. I was born again, but it was based on cold facts rather than the warm love of Jesus. And that was going to be my reality for many years. I became part of the Navigator group at Warwick. 
And there's so many things to learn about being a Christian and doing the right thing in God's eyes. Some of the things we did were really uncomfortable. But I couldn't think of any arguments against them. <coughs> Firstly, we used to go, go out knocking on doors in the hall, hall of residence. There was only one hall then. Asking our fellow students if they'd be interested in looking at what the Bible said about Jesus. Some were, most weren't. And I really found these encounters difficult and a bit frightening. But I, I look back and I think how grateful I am that I was encouraged to get out there with a message of hope and truth. It's been part of my basic nature ever since. The message of hope and truth is true. The methods may change. I may not be knocking on doors in a hall of residence, but to talk about Jesus and what he has done for us is a core part of my being. It doesn't make it any less frightening. I don't know many people who find it easy to share their faith with people who don't agree with them. It just seems odd to me that it's so difficult, so frightening to talk about the person, Jesus, who has done so much for us. A second thing that struck, stuck with me is the authority of the Bible. I see it as God's word written down by people like you and me as the best way we have of finding out about him. That's one reason why I come to church. One reason why I go to a home group where we study the Bible. Thank you, Alistair. That's why I spend some time every day reading the Bible. My experience is that when I leave the Bible out of my life or the church out of my life, that it is then that I have little experience of Jesus and definitely none of the fulfillment that Jesus promised to those who follow him. That's when life becomes harder. I left uni in 1973, 1971 rather, 1971, and I went to live in Helsinki in Finland for two years. That wandering bug doesn't get out of me. I still got it. Basically, I went there to get involved in the Navigator Ministry, working with students in a couple of the universities. It was another life-changing time as the group leader, Tom Heap, who's the guy on the right and at the top left in that picture. Um, I'm the rather sorry-looking guy on the left, um, there with Kari and Pekka. Tom on the left and Paul Lapala on the top right. He spent time with me, Tom did, that first year, helping me to see that being a Christian, living a Christian life, is more about God's love for us and our response to that than it is about having that sense of duty to do the right things. And my problem then, as it is still true now, was that my childhood, particularly my time at Leighton Park, had taught me a lot about my duty to care for others and to live rightly, and my time at the navigators, with the navigators at Warwick pushed the same button. A lot of what I did was out of self-discipline, not out of love for God. And don't get me wrong, self-discipline is, is an essential part of being a Christian. But it's guaranteed to fail at some point if there are no feelings for God, no experience of his friendship and love. And I discovered that keeping the faith, not moving away from it, and growing in it has a huge amount to do with the people I got to know. To Ted at Warwick, to Tom Heap, a few others in Helsinki, Pekka, Kari, Eero, Mikko. They had an impact on my life because they were people I got to know. 
people who cared for me and wanted me to grow deeper into my relationship with Jesus. A bit more wandering, I left Helsinki in 1973 and moved to London. And after a while, I joined a home group and pretty soon realised that there was a lovely lady in it as well, Barbara, Barbara Newing. She must have felt something similar. And so, in 1976, we got married. Yeah, I still look like that. <laughs> I wish. A few years later, we moved to New Malden and started coming to Christchurch. My worries about really believing that God loves me, just as I am, were still there. I'm so glad for my sense of duty pulling me through, even when things seemed grey. I was finding that reading the Bible was getting increasingly unexciting. I felt inside me that I was merely going through the motions. And that apart from my conviction that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, I might as well give up. I suffered from stress at work, long hours, responsible for major decisions that I didn't think I could take, and no easy way to offload any of it. I discovered when I stopped working in 2016 that that was one of the common factors that surrounded all the jobs that I'd had. I've always wanted to be challenged in my work and in my non-work life. But being challenged can result in stress. I'm no stranger to that. And I found the first years of marriage, living with Barbara and with our two children, was not always the easiest time. I learned a huge amount from Barbara about caring and not always being right. That was me, by the way, not caring, not being right. There were some painful times. Gradually, gradually, I began to change. The problem was not Barbara. I, had, you know, I have to say it. But it had certainly a lot to do with me, adapting my lifestyle to be supporting and caring for her and for our two children. I didn't find the 1980s easy. But we had two delightful children. And then Anna had children. And then, they're great. I can just look at this picture, these pictures for hours. I won't. Then, at a spring harvest, Christian conference in the mid-1980s, I remember sitting in an emptying tent after an evening meeting, and I was almost crying tears, but certainly crying out to God that I couldn't keep on living his way only as a duty. I needed and wanted to feel his love, to feel his love. Now, I know there are some people who say that your feelings are risky things to depend on, and indeed they can be. But to feel the love of God, to actually experience that fulfillment in your life because of him, that is different. That, for me, is life-saving. And what happened to me was very real. And over the next few days, I found I was actually looking forward to reading the Bible in the morning. And as I did that, I discovered God speaking to me from the passages and giving me the reassurance that I was needing and that I was needing <clears throat> and making it clear to me that he was there with me. I found that my life can be fulfilling because of having Jesus as my friend. I'd love to say that that moment in time completely sorted me out. No. The same me is still here, fighting insecurity, fighting this sense of an oncoming doom but from then, I've been empowered to get back to the source of life, to Jesus, to his words in the Bible. At the turn of the century, I feel really old saying that. 
don't like saying that. On the first Sunday in 2000, Stuart Downey started the new start service. I was church warden, as uh, Stephen has said, and, but I was against it because I felt it'd be too difficult to do. It would cause hurt, <clears throat> hurt to many church members. The real reason I was against it was because it frightened me. I couldn't cope with the change. They're pretty lousy reasons, frankly. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for me to realize how wrong I was and to realize that this is the best thing that could have happened to the church. Lots of new people coming, feeling at home, new ways of doing a service being tried out. It was, we met in the lounge. It was so refreshing. It was such a huge blessing to me and to many others. And when it grew to become the larger of our two morning services, it was exciting to see it moving into the main church, into here, as this service, from the lounge. And with all Stephen's encouragement, to see it like it is now, it's just incredible. I find it affirming, exciting, fresh and true. It's full of dynamism and enthusiasm. I absolutely love the idea of a shush-free church being tried out. But sorry, I like the idea of a shush-free church. It's one of those things that, it's so obvious when it's suggested, but it takes courage and imagination, yes, and, and faith, to put it into practice. So thank you, Stephen, for that. These cameras, these cameras, these services, I've got cameras written here, you can come back to look at me. These services are a constant reminder to me of what being a Christian should be about. It's not just not doing wrong things, it's better, but it's about being a person who is on the lookout to help build other people's faith, to help the vulnerable, to welcome each one of you to church, to be part of teaching children the truth about Jesus a lot more. It's about doing, being, much more positive. I've said before what I think about this church, the warmth and the support that I get, not just as a person in the congregation on the chair, but as a person called Hugh Griffiths, warts and all. It's an experience that means a lot to me. It totally, totally helps to keep me faithful. So thank you. Why am I a Christian then? I became a Christian through a childhood of church going, so I knew the stories, but no confrontation with Jesus. And through my life experiences and my French teacher at Leighton Park, David Preston, I came to realize that Jesus can and would be my rescuer. I became a Christian in March 69 because of the faithfulness of Ted Pilling and others in sharing truth, the truth about Jesus with people they didn't know. And why am I still a Christian? It's because of you. It's because of times when I have seen God take an active part in my life to keep me safe and sure, because he has always put people around me at school, at uni, at church, even at work, who have helped me to remain sure of my belief and to be challenged to live it out better and better, really because he doesn't let me go. Like Lee Marvin sang, I can look back and I can see those moments when God has touched my life. I may not have realized it at the time, but those were moments when I needed him and he proved to be a faithful friend. They were moments when he did a bit more of preparing me for what he had for me in the future. My creed, God is real. That's my, my experience, my belief. He acts in today's real world. You can see the effect of God in real activities, real things changing. Jesus died, he rose again, and I was given the chance to follow him and to grow in my relationship with him 
And now, he's changed my heart. I want with all my heart for that to be the case for the people I meet. Thank you.